We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. First Monday of 2021, and how better could you celebrate it than a Packers one seed as they beat the Bears 35-16 to on Sunday to finish the year 13-3. and Hi, I'm Alex Strofe, at Alex underscore Strofe on Twitter with you every other Monday with the APA. We're back at it and breaking down a, uh, a bye week for the Packers. How exciting is that? Joining me as always every other Monday, Perry Goldstein at Perry underscore Goldstein on Twitter and the great Andy Herman at Andy Herman NFL on Twitter. Hi guys, a one seed. You got to be feeling pretty good after that one. Feeling good, Alex. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. And Perry, I know you're fired up. Let's hear the energy. I am. It's a it's a new year. The Packers have the one seed. I just feel a wave of optimism for 2021. Undefeated in 2021. Undefeated. That's an important note. Let's hope that continues to roll as the Packers again have clinched the bye. They don't play this upcoming week in the playoffs. That's a thumbs up for me. Um, and we're going to dive into this 35 to 16 W over the division rival Chicago Bears, but. First things first, Packers clinched the one seed. They got the win. They got done what they needed to get done on Sunday. Andy, the immediate gut reaction for you is what? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the gut reaction is that they did, in fact, get that number one seed. And I think going into this game, the reason I felt very, very confident that the Packers were going to win is, you know, going back, you know, I, I forget exactly what press conference it was, but Rodgers had been very adamant about wanting to play that NFC Championship game in Green Bay, uh, making a huge deal out of it, making people come to Lambeau Field. You just had this feeling that he was not going to let this opportunity go to waste, that he wants that NFC Championship game uh, in Green Bay. And this was obviously a huge step to doing that, getting not only the number one seed overall, but of course that ever important buy in this year, more important than ever for the Packers for a couple of reasons. One, because again, there's only one available. It makes you obviously have to play one last game. But I think when you have that really early bye week as well, it can really be draining on a team. I know they've had a couple, you know, like Thursday type games or some extended type weeks, but uh, to not have a true bye week since really early in the season, I think it was what week four or five, um, you know, to, to get this bye week for the playoffs is going to be something that is really going to be able to allow the team to kind of give their, their bodies a little bit of a rest, their minds a little bit of a rest, and, and come out focused and watch while the rest of the teams in the NFC hopefully beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, and the Packers off the bye, I'm sure, is something we'll bring up here in a little bit. But, Perry, how are you feeling a couple hours removed from this big win? Great. The Packers are the <laughs> one seed. Um, I think Andy kind of hit the nail on the head there. It, it felt going into this game like there's no way that this team is going to let this opportunity to sort of hold their destiny in their own hands and control the narrative for the playoffs, just like let that slip through their fingers, especially against a division rival, right? Like it, it was, it's a meaningful game whenever you play a division rival and especially when the outcome um, is also so meaningful for your postseason hopes and Super Bowl dreams. So um, I just felt like they were going to bring the energy, which they didn't necessarily as much, but they ended up, you know, putting it away just like the Packers have done this entire season. Um, and the win, to me, really solidifies, obviously, seeding-wise solidifies. But I just think from a playoff picture perspective, like you're looking at who's the team to beat. Like, it is the Green Bay Packers in the NFC, and there's no question about it to me. Um, and I just loved the the grit and the perseverance to get through kind of a tough third quarter and really, really put it away at the end of the game and... Um, this team, I think we said it last year, right, and, and it's different this year, but this team feels really special, and you can hear it when you, you listen to the players' press conferences post-game. Like you can hear the way that they feel about this team and the way Matt LaFleur feels about this team. Um, it just feels like it's been sprinkled with a little magic, and uh, they now have the only buy, right? The, the playoffs are very different from any other season we've ever had so far. Um, only buy, and, and they get to have everybody come through Lambeau Field, which in a year where home field advantage hasn't necessarily been um, a, a game tilter like it normally is, really does help them um, up at Lambeau with the weather. So it's just really exciting, um, and they pulled it out in – beautiful fashion, um, and the Bears actually ended up still making it into the playoffs, yeah. even if they lost. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into the playoff picture here in a few minutes, but to, to, to go off your point, Perry, it does feel like this has been sprinkled with a little bit of magic. I don't know, and not to compare it too much to last year, because obviously it's a completely different scenario, a different team, a different year, but I'm a little, if not a lot more confident in this team than I was a year ago with, with their opportunity here at hand. 13-3, and three, the number one seed. The road rolls through Lambeau for the first time since 2011. I'm feeling really good. And, Andy, I know you and I were talking a little bit before, uh, before we were recording. 
it feels like the Packers do it every week, man. They make it a little bit too close for comfort, and then they end up winning by 19 points. So all in all, I mean, it was it was a solid performance, again, from the offense. Um, and overall, a, a good win, I would say, almost with a question mark for the Packers on Sunday. It really was a good win, and I think this had such a bizarre sort of game script to it. So at one point, the Bears had run 61 plays of offense, and the Packers had run 29 plays. Like, you know, it's really tough to kind of sustain that momentum on offense when the the defense is on the field for the entire time and the offense is just kind of sitting on the sidelines at the same time. It's tough to take, you know, what the Packers did on defense for granted because they they were really good in this game. 16 points allowed. Um, but really it was 13 because three of those points were directly in relation to the uh, the fumble by Adrian Amos. 4.8 yards per play for the Bears, which is really good defensively. The Packers' defense has now allowed 20 or less points in six of their last nine games. So they are peaking at the right time. You have to be excited about the defense. But when you have that kind of you know lull in action, it felt like right when MVS dropped that touchdown pass, the air went out of the offense a little bit. Um, but I thought the defense kept things together. But again, when you had such the you know discrepancy in, in plays and time of possession. I think the Packers just got a little bit out of their you know groove in the middle of that game. The Bears kind of got into it, just they're back into the game just a little bit, but kudos to the Packers offense for clicking at the right time. Amos gets the pick, the Packers steal things, and in the end it ended up kind of being the, this classic win that the Packers have had all season long. Each of their last three weeks, 16 or less points. They've won six straight. You, you said sustaining momentum, Andy. I mean, we're going to talk about this one seed now. This is huge. First one since 2011. They've won their last six straight. Now they get that bye week. How big is this number one seed for the Packers? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, to, to get this one seed, have things go through Lambeau, I, I honestly think that this game was massive for the Packers in their Super Bowl aspirations. I think, you know, had they had to go three straight games against a, what I think is a pretty tough NFC. I don't think it's a, like, I don't think it has this, like, super great team that, no. you know, everyone's afraid of, but I think it has a lot of really good teams. And, you know, even if they would have got the three and had to face, what, like the, the Rams or the, the Bears or something like that, I think that, you know, even if you get through that game, um, it's going to, you know, set up things that, that you're just having to extend a little bit more energy and effort. Um, then you're probably going to have to, you know, win against New Orleans and Seattle, and then probably against New Orleans, Seattle, or Tampa Bay. And I think just having that stretch of three games, including, in all likelihood, um, you know, one or two of those games on the road, uh, this is just, just becomes a, a massive victory. So instead of three wins with two of those probably being on the road against tough teams, to have just two games where you have to win at home, uh, to me, th- I don't mean to seem hyperbolic. I, I think this this win for the Packers is the difference between going to a Super Bowl and, and staying at home in February. I think it could legitimately be that important. 100%. Perry, the number one seed, first time since 2011. Big deal. Very. Uh, I think the one seed is always a big deal, but like we mentioned earlier, this is a, the first year where only the one seed gets that by. Yeah. And like Andy mentioned, to, to be able to rest a little bit um, because they haven't had a bye in, it feels like, like their, their bye week feels like it was a different lifetime ago. <laughs> so um, I just think from a, from a, you know, rest and injury perspective, I know we'll get to injuries in a bit. I mean, the Packers, I think for the most part, the season have stayed pretty healthy. Yeah. Um, but just, and also, you know, no traveling. They get to be home. It's just an added level of comfort. Um, I've been saying this for years, and, and I still feel this way. And I, I just think that this, to me, 
if you get Aaron Rodgers back to an NFC Championship game, especially if it's home, if you get Aaron Rodgers to a, another Super Bowl, honestly, like to me, it's I have a hard time imagining that man letting that opportunity slip through his fingers again. He's been really reflective this year. He knows how old he is. He knows that he's on, quote, the back nine of his career. And he also knows what this a second ring would do for his legacy. And I can I just feel like, and he doesn't need to because this team is in, incredibly talented, but that man will drag 51 players to a Lombardi on his back if he gets the opportunity to do it again and that opportunity becomes infinitely more possible when it's a game at home um, and when a team like the Bucks or the Rams or the Saints or pretty much anybody has to come up to a what zero degree negative degree snowy Lambeau field against a team that plays and practices in that weather all the time it is it's huge. There's there's no there's no other way to say it. Oh, and, and Perry, you brought up something really important too that I think goes really under the radar for, so far this season. They got back from their trip to San Francisco on November sixth, almost two months ago. Since then, at home against Jacksonville, a one hour flight to Indy, home home, basically what like a thirty to forty five minute flight to Detroit, home home, a thirty minute trip to Chicago. Like that is their only flight time since November sixth, and now they're going to be by week, hopefully home home until hopefully they play at Tampa uh, in February. Like that lack of travel, I know that that's not something that get you know shows up on the stat sheets and box scores and things like that, but but the fact that they've been able to stay relatively close to home since really, you know, November 6th is incredible. So um, that is a huge aspect, too, as you just kind of talk about the the overall wear and tear of the team and how the, the season be- can become draining. When you don't have a ton of travel time, that makes things a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, it's certainly eliminated a lot of the fatigue that you expect through a 16, really 17-week season. And uh, the only negative part of this is they won't be claiming their frequent flyer miles because <laughs> you know, they're at home through January uh, and then hopefully end up in Tampa the first week of February. So overall, really good. But I want to go back to Perry. She mentioned how good Aaron Rodgers was on Sunday. She mentioned how good he's been all season long. He started the first half 10 for 10, 155 yards, three touchdowns. Well, the second half, not too shabby either. Overall, Rodgers on Sunday against the Bears, 19 of 24, 240 yards, four touchdowns, and I'll ask it now. Did he solidify the MVP, Perry? There's absolutely no question. Um, I think that it was solidified maybe last weekend uh, yeah. against the Titans, uh, especially when you're sort of neck and neck with Mahomes and then Patrick Mahomes doesn't play this weekend and then you have Aaron Rodgers pull out a performance like that, you know, nearly a perfect passer rating um, on a season where he not only beats his own record, but creates a new record that he now holds, which is 45 plus touchdowns with five or less interceptions. It's just a, it's a special season. Um, And I think when you look at a player like Rodgers, who has had a career that he has had to top what he has done in years like 2011, 2014 already to me puts him in an MVP conversation. And then you look at that. He's 37 years old and he's fighting with a 25 year old for this. It's just, uh, yeah, there's no way. Um, I know it won't be unanimous because we're talking about Patrick Mahomes and he has this sort of, he's like the new Brady, right? Like everyone's already crowned him as the goat, uh, but he deserves it. No question. 
Yeah, he's yeah, been so darn good this season. I mean, he's been just ridiculous to watch. And you, you mentioned the efficiency. Less than five interceptions over 45 touchdowns. Never seen anything like that done. We talked a lot about the last four or five months about that chip that's been set on his shoulder. You talked about all the all the critics saying they're the worst 13-3 and team ever a year ago. Then they draft his potential replacement in April. And here comes Rodgers rolling out the red carpet for maybe the best season we We've ever seen from a quarterback, maybe ever. I mean, it was that ridiculous. It's it's comparable to some of the best Peyton Manning seasons, the Patrick Mahomes MVP year a couple of years ago. But Rodgers feels like he's on a level of his own this year, and that's crazy to say when you're comparing him to guys like Patrick Mahomes, and not to leave out Josh Allen, who's also had a really solid season for the 13 and three Buffalo Bills. But Andy, uh, you 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 talked to Rodgers about kind of that chip. You asked him about it in the press conference after Sunday's game. Interested to hear your perspective on the 2020 season we just saw at Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think the number that stands out is 70.7. I mean, the completion percentage of 70.7% this season is just ridiculous. And obviously, the touchdown to interception ratio is crazy. The overall numbers that this offense put up is crazy. But uh, the, the fact that he completed over 70% of his passes on a season, um, besting his previous high of, what, 68-some percent, 68.3% uh, from 2011, um, that is a absolutely crazy number. So uh, to have that level of efficiency through 16 games and really, you know, with players in and out, right? Devontae Adams misses a couple games. Aaron Jones misses a couple games. Williams missed time. Lazard missed a bunch of time. Um, you know, just about everyone. I think I think Tunyon was in there and I think Elton Jenkins were in there. And I think that's probably about it from people who were in there almost every game. Uh, Bakhtiari, of course, misses time. Corey Lindsley. So it, it didn't seem to matter. You know, Rodgers was in there every single game the same level of consistency and I think just his overall body of work and game in and game out the lack of interceptions, the quality of his play, the big plays when it was needed um, and then I think just capping things off with another four touchdown performance uh, to clinch the number one seed on the road against your division rival I just don't know what, what more you want in a ton and I mean a ton of credit uh, goes to Matt LaFleur and this offense, in his offensive mind and how he's built this offense and, and kind of getting Rodgers to not only buy in, but make no mistake about it, over the course of the last few seasons, this Aaron Rodgers that we saw this year was not the same Aaron Rodgers. Maybe it was due to injury. Maybe it was due to offensive line play. Maybe it was due to a stale offense in Mike McCarthy. Um, maybe it was due to still trying to figure out Matt LaFleur in the first season. All of those things could be true in some way, shape, or form, but there was a legitimate question as to whether or not we would ever see a true MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers again. And I'm not even just saying winning. I'm saying even like in the top three, top five, and to have this sort of season and this, um, you know, it, it, I don't want to make too big of a deal and say like he was like the, the worst quarterback in the league and now he's come back. It's certainly not that. But th when you have this Aaron Rodgers, it's an automatic playoff berth. And it's a puncher's chance at a Super Bowl every time, to the point where I'm, I'm legitimately saying if you put this same level of Aaron Rodgers with this offense on the New York Jets with the same talent, they're in the playoffs right now. Even with that crappy Jets team, that's how good he's been. So um, he's been phenomenal, and he absolutely deserves the MVP. Nothing like maybe an over-exaggeration Monday, but I like the Jets comparison nonetheless. Uh, let's dive into, so aside from obviously clinching the one seed and likely clinching the MVP berth, or the MVP award, excuse me, for Aaron Rodgers. 
a lot else to cover in this offense. So let's let's uh, mull over some of the performances we saw out of the offense. Some good, some bad, some in between. Uh, let's start with the good. Devontae Adams, six catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. He ties the franchise record for touchdowns, uh, 17 of them. And he set the team record for catches, needed four of them to break it, got six, finishes the season with 109 receptions. Didn't quite get to the yards marker. He needed 196 yards, only got the 46, as mentioned. Uh, finishes the regular season with 1,328 yards. Does Devontae Adams, who, by the way, only appeared in 14 games. I mean, come on, Devontae Adams. Brilliant all season long, Perry. I mean, it's, it's on, uh, if he would have played all 16, he might be the favorite for Offensive Player of the Year. He didn't, but he was still just unreal. Except for the fact that what he did in less than 16 games is better than what most receivers did with right. a full healthy season. So, yeah, he's – um, it's – it's hard to put into words a little bit like when you're I feel like when you're watching greatness you don't necessarily always know that that's what you're watching until it it's afterwards if that makes sense but this season with Devonta Adams like you have known the entire season that you are watching something very special that may never be replicated again um it's just sort of unprecedented the amount of accolades that he's built up in a franchise that has had incredible receivers over the course of its time. I mean, to beat a Sterling Sharp record, you know, he's now has more catches with Rodgers than Jordy Nelson, who as a Packers fan, I think you look back and you think about that sort of duo, that tandem is like the most special and it's it's not, it still is, but it's not. It's Devontae Adams. Um, and I think I'd be remiss to say that you know, he he didn't start his career like this. He's worked really, really hard, and it took some time for him to become the receiver that he is. Uh, and so I think it's just a testament to the kind of guy he is. You know, you, you I think you kind of talk about the type of player or the personality that Green Bay typically has in their locker room, and he is the embodiment of that. You know, quiet, humble, hardworking talented leadership role all of those things like he has just ascended to this this season um and he is also set to get paid after next season so i think he's setting himself up really really nicely for a a big bag um and a second contract in green bay but it's just been really really wonderful to watch greatness happen in front of you for you know 13 and a half games yeah, I'm right there with you, Perry. Adams is poetry in motion. He's absolutely art to watch on the field. Um, you can tell they kind of got away from him a little bit in the middle of the game and then kind of got back to him at the end. And, like, it's it's crazy to think that, like, a, a fairly ho-hum game for Adams is still 6 for 46 and a touchdown. And that's like, ah, you know, you, you know, that, you, that's like the the bare minimum of, like, a, a Devonta Adams game these days. And he was still really well throughout. But also drew a really big pass interference penalty on a big third down as well, which uh, probably would have been for what, you know, 30 and a touchdown had it not been uh, the the Bears corner draped all over him. But just to kind of wrap up the the rest of the day on offense too, you know, for me, I thought Aaron Jones, 85 yards and a touchdown, it may not look like his uh, most virtuoso performance ever, but there's like 60 yards of that 85 that he got um, after contact or just found yards that weren't always there. Uh, Picked up a third down conversion by breaking like three tackles on a play. Um, He had a ridiculous cutback. Had Adams uh, blocked the corner a little bit better, he may have taken that to the house like 
just is the, the thing about Jones is that like you look at him and there's no way that that guy looks like one of the the top running backs in the league. But you try to get in like in the open field with him and he's gonna outrace you. You like look at his vision and he's gonna find the open hole. You try to tackle him in the hole and he's gonna make you miss or stiff arm you or spin out of the way. Like he's got every ounce of uh, you know running back characteristic that you want for a really good running back. And it may not look like it on the surface, but he's damn damn good and he just proved that again in this game. And then. And I thought the offensive line held up really, really well uh, in the absence of David Bakhtiari. Of course, a lot of that is just the offense and getting the ball out of the hands of Aaron Rodgers. But anytime you're going against Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, that's always a tough matchup. And I thought they held up especially well, even without Bakhtiari. And then, of course, we got to talk about MBS and Alex and Perry. I'd love to know your thoughts here, too. To me, this is this is MBS. He's a wild card. He's going to yeah. give you the 70-yard touchdowns, the spectacular. Um, he's going to give you some plays that make you shake your head and, and you know, you have to kind of live with the good and the bad a little bit. I think people can take for granted the stuff that he does as a blocker and the stuff that he does um, really making people double, double cover him down the field because of his, uh, you know, because he's such a speed threat and, and can really stretch a defense. So there's a lot that you don't see on the field that really goes unnoticed and is really such an important aspect of this offense. But he's legitimately Green Bay's wild card, and there's going to be some good, there's going to be some bad, and we got another dose of that today. Roller coaster. Yeah, that's that's all it is, man. I mean, it's always it's an up and down ride, right? I mean, that's that's what it is with MVS. He has the 72 yard burner to the end zone, which is a huge catch. Then he has the opportunity for another one, can't reel it in, and and that feels like that's the ongoing theme with MVS. And you know, I'm still in his corner. I think we all are, but it's still frustrating as hell. And I'm not going to sit here and act like it's not. Uh, when that really would have been a huge knife in the back to the Bears if he reels that in because that's that's six right there. And, of course, that wasn't the case. It ends up uh, becoming a punt, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not looking at the uh, the game tracker right now, but uh, if I'm not, that, that led to a punt. It was. Yeah, okay, I'm right on that. And that's tough, but it's MBS. You're absolutely right, Andy. But, yeah, I wanted to get to MBS next, so Perry, uh, interested to hear your thoughts on him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just who he is, and, you know, sometimes you're going to get greatness, and sometimes you're going to get an unfortunate drop. I think that you no know, one's more frustrated about it than he is, likely. Like, he knows what he leaves on the field. Yeah. Um, so I think there's no reason to, to get down on him. You know he's doing that himself. Uh, but I think, to me, what MVS brings is so much more than that. You know, you you can't ignore him. They They – they hit that bomb to him, and they know that that's always the defenses. I mean, when I say they, is defenses know that's always a possibility, and so he's always dragging a defender with him. For some reason, they had a linebacker on him. Really, truly, I would love to know what they were thinking when that happened. Um, but you know, I think there's something to be said where a defense just has to always have an eye on him and pull a defender away, and it leaves you know more players on the Packers offense open to do what what they can do. So, um, of course, what I love for him to catch all of those balls and likely get, you know, two two in a game, sure. But I I think there is a lot more to be said for what he brings just from a schematic standpoint. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, 
access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Now, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask this, right? When is it too late? You know, what if there's an opportunity where he burns maybe a playoff game it's it's a crucial catch and it's 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 not a catch maybe i'm just being pessimistic and we can look at the indianapolis game but i'll make the argument there that you're not in overtime without mvs in that game so i i it's 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 a scary up and down roller coaster is what it is with mvs is is it is it that concerning to you andy or are you just like you know roll with the punches see what happens I think here's the way that you have to look at it, and this is the way that I look at it, is you always want to put your best players out on the field that give you the best opportunity to win. And what I see from MBS as a run blocker, what I see from him as a route runner, what I see from him as a, at times an explosive playmaker, and is what I see out of him from you know really occupying two defenders on the field at the same time, especially down the field and especially in extra safety, uh, that to me is giving the, the Packers an opportunity to win every week and is one of their, you know, their best players to get out on the field week in and week out and I I would say it this way you know what if on that play you know what if Aaron Rodgers you know overthrew MVS or what if it was just a random incompletion or Lucas Patrick blew a block and it was a sack instead like you're going to have a handful of of missed opportunities of missed plays here and there now you obviously there's a breaking point for everyone at some point your return on investment has to be greater than the um, you know than the cost of you know what you're costing out on the field but I think overall, uh, if you look at the season as a whole, and certainly for how I've graded them throughout this season, I still have MBS as a positive on the year. And I still think that if you have to move him into that number one or number two wide receiver role, which he had to occupy at some points this season, I think it's a fair question if if he's ready for that type of role and that type of responsibility. You have to remember the Packers are running a lot of two wide receiver sets with two tight ends. They're doing some two running back stuff. There's maybe what, like slightly over 50%, maybe like 60% of the snaps maybe that have three wide receivers on the field. And those are the snaps that MBS is, is getting in. And if I had to choose between MBS, Malik Taylor, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, you know, Tavon Austin, no question in my mind I'm still going with MBS. So he still brings a lot to the table. You still would more than love him to clean up the mistakes and the errors um, and, and hopefully make sure that those t- sort of things aren't happening. But to me, he's still wide receiver three on this team until somebody takes that role from him. As the stakes get higher, we hope the mistakes get smaller. Uh, that's see what you did there. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, I tried my hardest. So, a couple other offensive notes I want to get to before we flip to the defense, uh, and that is that is the backfield, right? I mean, obviously, we had the A.J. Dillon game last week against Tennessee, and then yesterday, I mean, it was back to Aaron Jones, business as usual. Jamal Williams back in the lineup of things. Aaron Jones, 85 yards and a touchdown for him. You had Jamal Williams get five carries for 26 yards, and A.J. Dillon just 
one carry for three yards. So uh, I think the backfield as we enter the playoffs will continue to be kind of a question mark, guys. But, Andy, curious to get your thoughts on, on everything surrounding that backfield. I mean, there's clearly three primetime players back there. And uh, I think Sunday is kind of what I expected from the backfield, right? Aaron Jones still the lead back. You get Jamal back into the, into the swing of things. And A.J. Dillon's role is minimized. Is that what you expected, number one? And number two, is that what you expect going forward as we roll into the playoffs? Yes and yes is what I expected, okay. and that's what I expect moving forward. I mean, first of all, the, the one thing that I could see potentially being a change, maybe just slightly, is I, I think they I think they may not um, you know limit Aaron Jones' snaps quite as much in the playoffs. Like, you want your best players out on the field, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit if at some point they said, you know what, we're just going to make this you know 70 to 75% Aaron Jones and 25% or 20%, uh, you know, Jamal Williams with maybe 5% A.J. Dillon or something like that. So I think, if anything, you might see Aaron Jones' playing time increase a little bit, which is obviously going to limit snaps even more for Williams and Dillon. But I think, you know, just the the trust comes with so much of Jamal Williams as that number two running back. And if you're just looking for somebody to to run the ball 20 times and and it came down to either Williams or A.J. Dillon and that was all you needed to do, I think it would be a fairly easy answer that it's it's time to go with A.J. Dillon in that situation and scenario, but uh, it's not just that. You know, the Packers are doing a lot of motion. They're doing play action. They're needing their running backs to pass protect on a huge chunk of plays, and I just don't think they're fully there, uh, <coughs> excuse me, with, with A.J. Dillon quite yet. So uh, I would fully expect Jamal Williams to remain the two, maybe a handful of plays here and there for Dillon, but if anything, I can see Jones' playing time increase. Yeah, let me flip the question for you, Perry, before uh, before you chime in. Does Aaron Jones' takeaway overall on Sunday, obviously we know he was a little dinged up against Tennessee, looked pretty solid, and as Andy, Andy mentioned, I mean, the role was minimized a little bit, only 11 carries. Overall, what do you expect from Jones, though, I think, and, and what do you expect moving forward, Perry? What is it? Uh, I think Aaron Jones is the number one back, and he should be the number one back, and he should get the most touches. The the Packers' offense runs the best when Aaron Jones is on the move, um, and I don't think that that's going to change. I, I would like to see A.J. Dillon in, I think, more. I think he deserves it. But, again, one game does not make a starter, um, nor should it, after you know everything that we've seen Aaron Jones put up over the last couple of seasons as a Packer. So um, I, I like the backfield mix-up that we have with the three backs, and I hope that that, you know, comes out in the playoffs, Um, you know, but Aaron Jones should and will be, you know, number one moving forward. Got to be super confident with that backfield, though, as I'm sure we all are. I mean, uh, three guys that have all proven their worth this year, and two of them happen to be on contract here, so it'll be a lot of fun conversations to be had here in the next few months surrounding that that, uh, running back room, but as we enter the playoffs, Definitely a big thumbs up. All right. Really, the topic I've been itching to get to here on the offense is the offensive line. We, we lose David Bakhtiari for the year uh, earlier la- or later last week. Billy Turner fills in at left tackle. Elton Jenkins stays put at left guard. But overall, Rodgers only sacked once. Pretty, I mean, they held up. We know how versatile the group's been all year. Any big takeaways, Perry, from the offensive line in Sunday's win over the Bears? It's more the same that I've seen this whole season, which is that it's a really impressive feat that this offensive line gets shuffled the amount that it does. And especially to replace a guy like David Bakhtiari, that's nearly impossible and likely you will not. You're just going to have to sort of minimize the damage that 
um, that, you know, happens when he's not in the game. I think Billy Turner did a really lovely job, and I'm really impressed and proud. Um, and we're going to be going up against some pretty good def- defenses, potentially some of the best fronts in the league if we see guys like Aaron Donald or maybe the Washington football team if they win tonight. So um, it, it we're going to need to be stout. And uh, losing Bakhtiari, I mean, he's like the best left tackle in the league right now. So uh, you're, you're never going to fully replace him. But I was impressed, and I hope that they – I think the offensive line, for the most part, this season has shown us that, that no matter the shuffling, they'll be able to protect Rodgers. And I don't see that changing going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Perry. And I think – you know, for me, just the fact that they were able to hang again with Hakeem Hicks and, uh, you know, Khalil Mack and this entire Bears defensive line, I think is a really good sign moving forward. And, and I don't think it's unexpected either. I think Billy Turner has done a really great job when he's had to play left tackle so far this season. And I think Green Bay has to have a level of confidence that whether they're playing Chase Young, whether they're playing Khalil Mack, whether they're playing Cam Jordan, you know, whomever they're playing against, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, that it, it doesn't matter that they're going to be able to put up a good uh, effort uh, on the offense. Of line. And again, I think this offense right now is based upon Rodgers getting the ball out of his hands quickly, you know, a solid running game and, uh, you know, making sure that, um, you, you know, Rodgers isn't spending the ton of time in the pocket. And I think the offense is really designed for the offensive line to have success. And at the same time, I think they've had success on their own, even when they've been put in poor situations. So kudos to Billy Turner for the, the flexibility, uh, as we've said about the offensive line all season long. 100%. Yeah, 35 points also, nothing to scoff at. So, a really, a big thumbs up from the top-scoring offense in football, the Green Bay Packers in 2020. That's uh, that's that's pretty cool, on top of the one seed and, and potentially the MVP of the league being on Green Bay's offense, also the best offense in football in 2020, at least in terms of scoring. Let's flip sides, though. Let's go to the defense again. As we mentioned, four of their last five games allowing under 20 points. They did it again on Sunday against the Bears, 16 points allowed, and really 13 is what I would make the argument for because you had the Tavon Austin uh, punt return fumble that led to a field goal for the Bears. But only 16 points again, Andy. I mean, they're, they're playing well at the right time. Peaking at the right time is kind of the, uh, the, the term that we'll use. Yeah, they really are, and this has really been the formula that the Packers have tried to master all season. You know, we're, we'll give you the, the, the three, the four, the five-yard gains, and you're going to have to, you know, kind of paper cut us to death and, and get to the end zone in some capacity, and ultimately, you know, at times they've struggled with stopping teams in the red zone this season, but they've been much, much better as of late, um, and they've also started coming up with some of those bigger plays, and Adrian Amos had a couple of those. He had the interception. He also had the forced fumble that obviously got returned due to an offsides, but um, I, I really thought that uh, Amos played a great game, and I just think if you look at how this this Packers defense is playing specifically in the red zone, uh, like you said, I think you hit it perfectly there. They're peaking at the right time. Um, I mentioned on the uh, video podcast the other day, you look at almost uh, everyone along this defense, to me, is, is playing much better than they were to start the season. Kenny Clark is becoming a major nuisance on the inside. Preston Smith playing much better these past few weeks than he was earlier this season. Christian Kirksey, last week, a sack and an interception. He had another sack this week and has really filled in nicely and kind of once he's moved over uh, alongside Chris Barnes, and Barnes has become the starter inside, who's also increased his level of play. Amos and Savage are playing great. Like, you, you just look all across this defense and you can find players who are performing at a much higher level. And I know sometimes it's frustrating for Packer fans because you see these third and fourth down conversions and you see the, the clock bleeding away and the offense is on the sidelines. But 
the the proof is kind of in the pudding. And when you get the results uh, like you did in this game, and again, you're holding to the Bears to, to very few yards per, per play and, and really 13 points, like you mentioned, save for the three points due to the Tavon Austin fumble, which, if anything, the defense deserves a ton of credit for holding the th- to three in that situation. Um, I just think that, you know, that's a formula that you can win with. And I also think you have to look at it the other way around, too. Like, yeah, maybe it limits the possessions for Green Bay, but what it's doing is it's limiting the possessions for most for both teams. And if both teams are only going to get, what, maybe six, seven possessions, whatever it ends up being, um, the Packers' offense is probably going to be much more efficient uh, in those possessions than the opposing offense is going to be. And if the Packers' defense can ultimately hold to field goals like they did in this game, you're going to have a ton of success in that type of game. So I know it can be frustrating for fans to see the defense stay on the field and maybe not getting some of those you know third down stops on third and four, fourth and shorts. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're limiting them to field goals, it's really tough to argue with the results. 73 offensive snaps for the Chicago Bears, 16 points. 43 offensive snaps for the Green Bay Packers, 35 points. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> efficiency. time of possession doesn't always lead to a victory and a 19-point loss in, in this uh, in this case. So, Perry, yeah, bring me up to speed. He mentioned Amos, nine tackles. Uh, seven of those were solo and the interception, the, the force fumble, or excuse me, the force fumble. Yeah, that, that was called back. Uh, but, but Amos, again, I mean, the safeties have been so good the second half of the season. But overall, defensive takeaways for you, Perry. I really love the Packers' endurance in this game. I think it's really, really easy when, like you said, the time of possession heavily leans towards the Bears for this Packers defense to get gassed, rightfully so. And they really, really held tough. And I think that says a lot for what they might be facing uh, in the playoffs and, you know, potentially in the Super Bowl if you're going to play a team like the Chiefs or the Bills who are offensive powerhouses just like the Packers are who can – drag long drives out. I just find that the way that the defense held tough and strong uh, against the Bears in this game was, I think, my biggest takeaway um, and the thing that I'm most impressed with. Uh, I think you guys, you know, you both hit the nail on the head with the way that they're peaking and the way that they're playing. I, I just think there's something to be said for Yes, you can knock Petten, you know, the way Petten plays his defense, how he tries to limit the big play, uh, bend, don't break, whatever it is. But when the offense is playing the way it is and averaging like 32 points a game, he can play that way. Um, and maybe it'll work in the playoffs. Maybe it won't. Um, we're hoping for the former. Um, but I, I think that the few things that I would like to see cleaned up before the playoffs are tackling Kevin King, please use your arms. Um, And just short yardage conversions, right? Like, get off the field on those third downs. Don't let teams convert four out of five fourth downs. Like, those are the ones that, yes, it worked for the Packers in this game, and it ultimately didn't matter, but it might not go their way against a different opponent. And those are the places that I would like them to just sort of clean up. Yeah, to your, to your point, Perry, like how many, and it really kind of the former so many times um, kind of altered the latter. And what I mean by that is some of those broken tackles or missed tackles made it to, to some really easy right. third or fourth and short conversions. Like there were a couple like even, even plays on, on that first touchdown drive where, you know, David, they checked the ball down to David Montgomery and you have him at the five yard line and he ends up getting down to the two. If it's fourth and five, they probably kick the field goal because you get down to the two yard line or two or one yard line. 
sideline, they go for it on fourth down and, and go for the touchdown. Like there were a couple other instances where because of poor tackling, it ended up being a, a fourth and short rather than, you know, maybe like a fourth and three, fourth and four in a situation like that where, again, maybe they would have punted or kicked the field goal instead. So I think just cleaning up some of that stuff, and I, if you watch it, it's a lot, almost every single time, a lot of the time it's because they're going for the ball, which I get is important, but you have to make sure that you're you're going for the ball after the, the player is secured that they're not going anywhere any longer. You can't sacrifice going for the ball uh, or go for the ball at the, at the, you know, at the price of not getting them down where you're supposed to. So I think right. if they can just clean a little bit of that up and make sure that they're getting players down where they initially see them, you're not going to even see some of these, you know, as easy convertible third and fourth and shorts because you're you're holding them shorter when you're initially supposed to. Yeah, it's a balance to me. I, I do agree with you, right? They are going for the ball. They're going for a turnover. And I, I like that sort of ball hawking dog mentality, but you're not going to get that every time. And if it means either just wrapping a guy up and getting him to the ground and not letting him break through a tackle for you, like choose that option <laughs> because the big plays will come when they, when they're right. This team does have an eye for the ball. So I, I think it's honestly to parrot Matt LaFleur is trust your eyes and trust your instincts, but do, do what you need to do to just end that down, end that play. Agreed. So we're, we're, are we confident enough in this in this defense to uh, help them get to the Super Bowl? Or are we confident enough? I, I guess we need to gauge that. Are you, are you both there? You I'm know, like for me, seventy percent. I'm like at seventy percent. I, I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks gives me the confidence to say they have the potential to go and beat any of the teams that come their way. But there are, of course, things that, you know, no team's perfect. They have their issues. And I think a good team with a plan that they can kind of exploit those could potentially gas this Packers defense. And I think that could go for for any year. They're not like the number one defense in the league. But I also think I have confidence in the way that they've been playing. And if the Packers offense is playing well and they're up, you know, a score, two scores, then I think this defense will be fine. Yeah, for me, I have confidence in how they're playing. I'm not necessarily confident that they're going to be able to hold down. You know, if they have to go, you know, Tom Brady in the Bucks round one and, and Seattle or New Orleans in round two, am I confident that they're going to go out and shut down those teams? No, n- no way. Like, th- this is playoff football, and the other teams are really damn good football teams and are going to score some points as well. But I'm confident in the way that they're playing. Like, earlier this season, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, this this looked a lot of times like 11 guys on defense playing in, in, like a 11 guys on defense, like individual football. Like there were multiple times these last handful of weeks where you see guys rallying to the football as a team, team tackling, um, you know, the run fits against Tennessee and Derrick Henry. I mean, hell, even in this game against David Montgomery, I know they got away from it a little bit, but 22 carries for David Montgomery, only 69 yards, a long of eight yards. Like that is not the type of of run defense that we had seen from the Packers earlier this season. So the, the concepts behind things are better. How they're playing as a team is better. How they're trying to, you know, go about getting the ball away is better. Their red zone defense is better. Their run defense is better. You know, like I said, is, does that mean they're going to shut teams out in the playoffs? No, you have to have reasonable expectations, but I still think this is a defense that's trending in the right direction and can be good enough with the way that the Packers offense is playing to get them into February. 
Bingo. Uh, you, you mentioned it. David Montgomery, 69 yards rushing only, and Robinson, Allen Robinson, uh, only with 37 yards receiving. So the, this offense eliminating playmakers, and, and we remember just a week ago, Derrick Henry under 100 yards. They've been able to contain things that maybe they weren't able to in the first eight weeks or nine weeks or ten weeks, and things have been trending in the right direction, as we continue to say. So peaking at the right time, I think, is the best way to look at this defense. Happy with where they're at, and hopefully it's only up from here. But let's mention the darkest spot of this team. Uh, It's been all season long, man. This is is a problem that hasn't gotten any better, and that's special teams. Uh, Tavon Austin again fumble, as we mentioned earlier, on a punt return against the Bears on Sunday. Uh, I got a tweet that said, I think Tavon Austin deserves a mulligan. And I responded with, I think the special teams unit has gotten enough mulligans this season. Where are we at with the special teams? I mean, it, it is, it's almost every week there is one crucial mistake that just makes you put your hand or your head in your hands and scream at the top of your lungs. It's so darn frustrating. Andy, where are you at with special teams, man? Yeah, it's a million percent fair. I mean, they've had so many special teams gaffes. You know, they've got a couple seasons worth of gaffes, you know, just over the course of like the last half of the season with uh, block punts, punt returns for touchdowns, missed extra points, fumbles by Tavon Austin. Uh, uh, fumbles by Darius Shepard, like they've had enough gaffes to, to fill a couple seasons worth, um, and you will you will see good special teams that won't have that many in in two three seasons. So you know there's a fair point there. I think I think if I'm going to try to stay positive and say one good thing, really the the main issue there there was a couple issues, right? So the first one was the, the kick out of bounds by Crosby, which I think was a poor call. I think he obviously touched the ball uh, prior to it going out of bounds. Even still, should it have maybe been in that situation? Maybe not. But but um, I think that was maybe a little bit of a rough call. Um, then Malik Taylor had the return only to the 20. Uh, first of all, I don't think Malik Taylor is scaring anyone as a returner, so I think you still have to look, at, probably not this year, but of trying to find you know some sort of upgrade there. But you know, even his return only to the 20 was, you know, he slipped on the field, and maybe it's just a field-type issue, a cleat issue. And then the, the punt return by Austin, it's not like there was something wrong with the scheme or the blocking or anything like that. It's just an individual error by Tavon Austin. So I don't know that there was like a bunch of like things that you can point to and say look at this on today's game I'm just speaking about today's game that like look at this idiot Sean Menengo what the hell is he doing like there wasn't anything that was wrong from a scheme standpoint but at some point when you look at the special teams as a whole and you see this many errors over the course of a season you know ultimately it's going to come down to coaching and um, and personnel and one of the two maybe both and right now it just isn't good enough overall and that's something that has to be a pain point as, as Green Bay goes into the uh, end of the postseason. Yeah, Perry, any big takeaways from the special teams on Sunday? No, I mean, I think Andy hit it, right? Like, we just need them to be competent. Nothing more than that. No errors. <laughs> easy. I think yeah, there is something to be said, though, in a league where kickers are, I think, overlooked a little bit in their importance until all of a sudden your kicker goes out there and misses a field goal that will get put you into overtime or win the game. And so uh, I think you have to give kind of a shout-out to uh, Mason Crosby because he became yeah. the first kicker in Packers history to convert all of his field goal attempts in a season. Went 16 for 16. So just in a, in a time where kickers are, you know, there's a carousel of them for certain teams to have someone that consistent that you can just rely upon, uh, especially, you know, we're at, we're at Lambeau Field where the winds can do some crazy things, and we know that, that Money Mason can go out there and hit it when it's necessary. Um, I think it, it's just uh, – 
a nice, good old reliable to know that, that we have him out there. It's crazy to see, you know, a couple of years ago he had that rough game in Detroit and kind of an overall rough season, and now he's just, you call him Money Mason. That's what he was this season. He was uh, un- unbelievably good. So it's cool to see uh, the Silver Fox, as some call him, I think, Mason Crosby, uh, to be as money as he was this season. Definitely uh, awesome to see, you know, a lifelong Packer like him continue to succeed, uh, you know, the tenure that he has. But let's jump over to the injuries Really, uh, nothing too serious, it seems, for the Packers, which is great, obviously, heading into a bye week and the playoffs. Tyler Lancaster, Chandon Sullivan both left the game, both came back into the game. Looks like they're good. Chris Barnes went down twice, had his role kind of minimized, but seemed like he was all right uh, for the Packers' defense after having a pretty solid game, did Chris Barnes. Andy, I know that's your man crush. Uh, are we all good on that? Well, what's, what, bring me up to speed on what you know in Chris Barnes, if anything. I get labeled with a lot of man crushes. I don't know that I can really claim all of them. Chris but, uh, Barnes is your man. He has been all season. I don't, I don't know about that. Tim, uh, Tim Boyle is the only one, I think, and, and to an extent, Robert Tunyon. I think those two I can claim. <laughs> Other than that, I'm not sure of any other ones. But, no, Barnes has been playing well. Um, the, the big thing that was noteworthy is at the end of the – um, you know, towards the end of the game where they were playing dime-only defense, which is normally the, the you know where Chris Barnes is in there, um, at least as of late, uh, he was not in the game. The, the Packers had a large enough lead at that point where it easy, easily could have just been precautionary and uh, trying to not have him get any more banged up after already going out of the game with two injuries. But uh, I think that's probably going to be the one. Uh, Shannon Sullivan, Tyler Lancaster, both were banged up at some point but went back in the game. So I think just kind of keep an eye on – well, there will be no injury report this week, but uh, two weeks from now, you know, keep an eye on that. Uh, and then, you know, some other ones just, you know, obviously uh, Kingsley Kiki didn't play because of the concussion. We'll keep an eye on that over the course of the next couple weeks. Simon Stepaniak still hadn't been totally cleared to play uh, coming off, you know, his stint on the NFL uh, injured list and then or the non-football injury list, excuse me. So we'll see if he can kind of, uh, you know, get back into to playing condition as the playoffs start. Not that, you know, the hope is that he ever gets on the field anyway, but we'll kind of keep an eye on that. And then we'll also see at some point to, you know, Raven Green and Tyler Irvin or any of those sort of players uh, have an opportunity to return from IR. So I think those are all going to be things to keep an eye on as, as Green Bay gets ready for the playoffs. Certainly hope so. And the extra long, obviously the bye week, so you get an extra long break here, uh, should definitely help that injury report. But we will see as the days roll on. And we'll keep you posted right here at the Pack-A-Day podcast every single day. And Andy mentioned it earlier, might as well give it a shameless plug. Andy's already done over 110 daily episodes of the YouTube version of the Pack-A-Day podcast. You were a trooper, my friend. Uh, you can go find that on YouTube, searching Pack-A-Day podcast. Now let's dive into this, man. It's, it's done so just about. Uh, we're recording while the Washington football team is playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. They are in the driver's seat right now, but a very close game. So we're not going to call a winner of the NFC East during this podcast but it is between them and the New York Giants in the four seed in the NFC. So let's dive into the NFC playoff picture. Talk about maybe the biggest threats to the Packers in your minds, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll wrap up. So number one seed is Green Bay. They have the bye this week, and unlike any other years, as Perry mentioned earlier, there's an expanded playoff. Seven teams make the playoffs in each conference this year, so only one team gets that bye, and that is your Green Bay Packers. The two seed is the New Orleans Saints. They will play host to the Bears as they snuck in as the Cardinals were not able to get a win on Sunday. So the 8-8 eight eight Bears get in. They will travel to New Orleans next week. The three seed, the Seattle Seahawks, they play host to the division rival Los Angeles Rams at the six seed. 
So Los Angeles goes to Seattle next weekend. And the final matchup next weekend, the four seed is either, as mentioned, the Washington football team or the New York Giants. They play host and will likely lose to the, the five seed, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So again, your NFC playoff teams, the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, either the football team or the football Giants, the Buccaneers, the Rams, and the Bears. Perry, I'll start with you. In your eyes, of those six teams not named the Packers, who is the biggest threat to the team named the Packers? Am I allowed to say no one? Yeah, please. Um, I think each team brings something that could potentially like spell downfall for the Packers, right? All of them have their strengths. They're in the playoffs for a reason. Uh, I think that the Rams' defense definitely scares me a little bit. I think going up, if the Washington football team wins, I think their front seven also scares me a little bit, given that we don't have David Bakhtiari um, right now. Uh, I always hate playing the Seahawks because there is just some voodoo magic that happens when the Packers play the Seahawks in the playoffs, and I just don't love that. Um, but I also think that there is a very high possibility and confidence that I have that the Packers can beat all of these teams. Um, I think that my, you know, best, I shouldn't say best case scenario, but just the one game that I personally would love is I would love for the Buccaneers to come up to Lambeau Field um, and we could have a little rematch of that game because I think it would go quite differently in snowy Lambeau Field. Um, And I think that would be a little, you know, sort of therapeutic as like the kind of one like really bad loss that the Packers had um, this season. So that's just from a personal and also good football standpoint. Um, But there really isn't a team that strikes too much fear into my heart from, uh, like, comprehensively. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. The NFC South options seem like the best to me. The Saints are the two seed, and then the Buccaneers. I would love that rematch. And it's unlikely, but how fun would an NFC championship game between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady be? That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Andy, biggest threat to the Packers in the NFC playoff picture. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Perry anymore. To me, the biggest threat to the Packers remains the Packers. If they play their brand of football, if they play the way that they're capable of playing, bar none, they will beat whatever two teams come to Lambeau. Um, you know, I think you have to look at Tom Brady and Drew Brees, you know, older quarterbacks having to come to play in Lambeau Field, uh, at, you know, in potentially negative degree temperatures. I, I don't know that that's necessarily an opportunity for success. Um, you know, the Seahawks have not been playing great football as of late. Even if you look at their wins this season, it is a laundry list of wins against pretty bad football teams. Um, you know, not super afraid of whether it's the, the football team or the, the Giants. You know, we'll see what happens there as we're recording this now. Uh, the football team is up by three with about two minutes left. The Eagles have it fourth and goal as I speak. Should I break down the play? Jalen Hurts goes back to pass. He's buying time. He's buying time. He's scrambling around and incomplete. So the Washington football team remains in the lead by three points with about a minute 54 to go. Uh, but, you know, none of the teams have, you know, any, anything that I'm like... 54 in the third quarter, Andy. Third quarter. Yeah, sorry. What did I say? You just said 50, a minute 54 to go. Oh, yeah. Sorry. In the third quarter. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. That's why I'm not a play-by-play guy. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, there's none of the teams that really uh, I'm super afraid of if Green Bay plays their brand of football. And I think this is theirs to lose. And I'm not to say... They could lose to any of the six teams, right? Like, if they don't play... Great football. The other team comes in and, and they play great. Sure, whatever. But uh, there's no team that I look at and say that Green Bay shouldn't be the favorite going into the game as we start heading into the playoffs. I'm with you guys. I, I mean, they look like the best team in the NFC, and I don't think it's necessarily close through 17 weeks. I think 
you know, if they play their brand of football and they play it well, and they usually do on Lambeau Field, uh, things are going to work in their favor. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Do all the superstitions you have to do. Uh, but I agree with you guys. The Packers' biggest threat is the Packers. So we will see. Uh, the Packers will play the lowest seed remaining following next weekend's wild card round. So it will either be the winner of the NFC East, the Buccaneers, the Rams, or the Bears if they somehow pull off a miracle and beat the Saints. Um, they will play the lowest seed remaining uh, the weekend of January 16th and 17th. So uh, one more thing I want to get into before we sign off, guys, is Matt LaFleur. Uh, hasn't been a big name in the Coach of the Year uh, candidate. I, I imagine he's up there, but Sean McDermott definitely taking the, the front seat for that out of Buffalo. Two thirteen and three seasons, 27-7 and seven overall, including playoffs, as a head coach. I, I, I don't even know how to sum up his first two years. Way better than I expected when the hire was made. Way better than just about anybody expected, I imagine, when the hire was made. The guy's been just terrific. Perry, Matt LaFleur, to through, to, through two complete regular seasons, what has he shown you? Is he one of the best minds in football already? I hate making, like, broad, you know, kind of big statements in that way because it is truly a small sample size for a head coach, especially if you hope one that's going to be with your team for a long time. I will say that there's something to be said for when there is a regime change, if you will, in any organization. It can be rocky, and yet for the Packers, it was so seamless and it was so successful, and I think that goes to – who he is as a person, the kind of leader that he is, um, the respect that he's garnered in the locker room. uh, And, of course, obviously he's winning football games, which makes everything easier when you're winning football games. I think that he's taken from the tree that he comes from certain concepts that, you know, I, I see a good amount of sort of Shanahan and what he does, but he's crafted an offense that works for the players that he has. Um, and I don't, I think he came in and said, this is how I view football and offenses specifically, but also let me figure out what my players can do best and fit, kind of find some sort of like puzzle piece way of, of scheming, um, scheming this offense up. So uh, I think that he is creative, but he's quietly creative. I think he definitely doesn't get enough credit for what he's done, although I do listen to a good amount of sort of around-the-league media, and he's definitely been in the Coach of the Year conversation a little bit more, um, I think, in the last couple of weeks with what this Packers offense has done. Um, but he, he I, I think for me it's more of – the way that this team has transitioned to not just him, but right, Goot, and and the way that Mark Murphy has sort of, I think, stepped into a little bit more of a, I think the front office is more present to me than it has been in a while. Um, And and that just, I don't know, just says a lot to, to the kind of coach that he is. And I think he set himself up for a nice career in Green Bay. I couldn't be more impressed with what Matt LaFleur has brought to the Green Bay Packers in all phases, how he deals with the media, how he rallies his team, how he's gotten everyone to buy in, what he's done in the first two seasons, how he's built the offense, how he's got Aaron Rodgers playing football. I mean, just checking every single box that you would possibly want out of a head coach, um, except for one, that's going out and winning the Super Bowl. And we'll see in three games if he can finish that one off too. But uh, as we sit here today, uh, again, I, I could not be more impressed with a head coach than what I've been with Matt LaFleur over the course of the first, you know, one and almost now two complete seasons in Green Bay. 
He's been ridiculously phenomenal. The Packers in 2020, pretty darn phenomenal. So my suggestion to all of you out there, we appreciate you rocking with us. We hope you enjoy your first full week of 2021. And by the way, sit back, enjoy, R-E-L-A-X. It's bye week, baby. Enjoy the playoff football. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you soon. For Andy Herman and Perry Goldstein, I'm Alex Strofe. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.